Welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, a literary publisher of artful autobiographical writing, which you can find today at autofocuslit.com or on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I am the publisher of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, we have a guest host. It's Mike Nagel, author of Duplex, the very first Autofocus book. And he's in conversation with Graham Irvin. Graham Irvin is the author of Livermush from Back Patio Press. He grew up in North Carolina and lives in Philadelphia. And you can follow him on Twitter at Graham J. Irvin. All right, let's get to it. This is Mike Nagel's conversation with Graham Irvin. This morning, for money, I went to a, uh, a, uh, a sperm donation place. <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh it went okay and uh i didn't <laughs> sold get some paid. sperm i didn't sell sperm i had to, it was like the first time so they have to test it to make sure it's worth money <laughs> so i will find out tomorrow whether or not it's good um is it just a like a yes or no or is there like yeah this sperm's a seven out of ten i don't know that's what it makes me nervous because it's not it's a it's a pretty good deal it's like it's uh $150 per time and <laughs> you can deal. do it up to four times a week. Whoa, uh, really? Yeah, I did. I donated plasma before this and you can only do plasma twice a week and they stick a needle in you. And it also depends on like how hydrated you are. So like I didn't know how you needed to be very hydrated. I drink water. I'm not an unhydrated guy, but I didn't like drink as much water. So I was there like hooked up to this thing for like an hour and a half, uh, I think the lady put the thing in my arm wrong because it was like in my vein and then like pulling it out. Like it looked like Dude, that's it was like man. raised off of my arm by like a oh, half inch. And so I'm long? just like, like, like an hour and a half. Oh. Cause I was, cause I was like, did, and then like so she kept coming back over and being like, you didn't drink enough water. And I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> there was no flyer. She's like, she's like, do your hand like this, do your hand like this. Like, and they kept having to turn up the pump. So it was just like, Working harder to get the fluid oh, out of my body. God. Um, this very easy, <laughs> but they have to test. I can't, no one came into the room with me. No yeah. one put a needle inside of me. <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, it was closer. It was into inside the city. Yeah, but yeah. So four times a week, hundred fifty dollars each time. Dude, what? That's um, crazy. That's like a livable wage almost. <laughs> yeah, that's like ba- like thirty four thousand. And and listen. Uh, more money than I was making at the warehouse uh-huh. just doing this. Yeah. Which not even like five times. I was doing nine to five, five days a week, not making that. Yeah. But uh, tomorrow I find out whether or not I can ever uh, sire a child <laughs> oh, wow. and or get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Some big news coming. Holy shit. We'll yeah, have to yeah. follow. <laughs> you have to let me know via email. That could change your life in two ways immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be like more immediately a bummer if they're just like, we don't want it. Right. Because there goes some serious income. Yeah. But then if it's, yeah, if they're just like, well, you'll never, it'll be a difficult uphill battle if you want to have a kid in the future. And yeah. That'll be a bummer as well. <laughs> Shit, man. All right. So dishwashing, riding your bike, donating sperm for some pretty serious cash. Yeah. That's the snapshot right now. Yeah. That's, that's what's going on. Yeah. Right on, dude. All right. Cool. But what got you, what was your, if you can think back to like your first like foray into writing, into reading, were you always like a, a readery, a kid, were you scribbling stuff early on or is it something you kind of came to later? I think 
I think in uh, in high school there was a period between my like maybe freshman and sophomore year where I really like I was doing okay. Like I was in whatever classes that they offered that I could get into, like honors classes or if they had the AP classes, I yeah. was in those. You say in the book, I think somewhere you were in, you I didn't write it down, but like you won, you were like, I was like, oh, he's a smart guy. A national, national honor society. That was it. Yeah. 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 But I think also it's a small, it was a small school. Like, so the top 15% of limited number of people, it wasn't yeah. like, still pretty good. It wasn't. Sure. Yeah. That sounds like I, some sellable sperm t- to me. You should put I that on the so. application. I, I, yeah. So that's the thing. Yeah. I, I, I pass all the tests as far as like, I'm, I'm above five, eight. <laughs> We're going to, I'm going to talk about, <laughs> but okay. So when I was in like freshman, sophomore, I was in like classes and doing okay, but I didn't really have like much of a passion for anything. I thought things were stupid and I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I started uh, dating somebody and she was really into writing, really into reading. And she like liked weird books and stuff. And I think for my, my birthday or Christmas or something, she gave me like books as a gift. Uh-huh. And I remember being very excited to like understand her more through reading or whatever. And so I like wrote uh, a little, like I wrote short stories for her or something as like uh, flirting or, right, or yeah. to, to make her like me more. And um <laughs> And uh, she liked the first one, and then she didn't like the second one, and then we broke up not long after that. Um, Do you remember and, what any of the books were that she gave you, or any of them noteworthy now to you? Um, one was, uh, I think, by a guy named, I think it was, his last name was Spinelli. I think it was Jerry Spinelli, and the book was called Loser, and I remember that being very funny. It was it was like a young adult book, and it, I think the other ones weren't young adult books. Maybe one of them was Perks of Being a Wallflower. Okay. Or we had talked about that book and I remember reading that and then reading the stuff that he reads in that book. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't really remember the other ones. I just remember Loser because it was funny. So uh-huh. I, I kind of like got out of writing for a little bit. I, I went to college uh-huh. and then I, I think because I got into uh, Naked Lunch by William Burroughs and I really liked that book and I thought – this did is you crazy. Really, like, this the is, first time you read it, you liked Naked Lunch. I I really did, and I know that that doesn't like make sense, but I think that it like un it opened this door where I I was like I can read something that uh, makes me feel a way that I've never that I've never felt before, or that yeah. feels like not reading at all. Like I don't feel like I'm taking in information. I th- I feel like I am kind of being like pummeled by the words on the page. Yeah, yeah, and I was really excited by that. I thought at the time, you know, that's the way to write. And so I wrote like Just wildly, essays. incoherently. <laughs> yeah, incoherent nonsense. That's what I was like doing for a while whenever I was like doing assignments on Alexander Pope poetry uh-huh. and stuff like that. <laughs> and you turn it in a, a naked lunch essay. A naked yeah, lunch. Yeah, for real, yeah. <laughs> and I like I, I think like the few English teachers that I had respected it. That's cool. Um, I also got into drugs like at the, at the oh, same so, time yeah. just because of what I was reading as well. The convergence of literature and drugs meets exactly at naked lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I was doing that. And then I went to college and I went to college for anthropology because I thought that it was a more applicable type of writing. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I'll write about culture and yeah. I'll... Um, and Vonnegut did the anthropology thing. There's some, there's a path yeah. there kind of. Yeah. 
and I think maybe Burroughs did too. Oh, I think he might be right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was literally those kind of things where I was just like, these writers did it. So I'll yeah. do it. <laughs> and then I wasn't really good at anthropology. And I started doing open mics at uh, these coffee shops in, in like the town that I went to college in, in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what like got me back into it. I was like, I would go to these coffee open mic places. They would have one like every two weeks or something at mm-hmm. different places. And you'd like and read something you'd written. Yeah. And I would, and I would like challenge myself to read something new every time because it was all hosted by the same plate, like same okay, yeah. small press. Right. So you and didn't want to just repeat some material. Exactly. Yeah. And so I would like bring new stuff every time. And I think that is what really got me back into it. It was like doing that and like having a, a, a purpose to do that. Yeah. I'm curious. So I've, I've actually never done a, I've never read out loud for anybody, but I, I'm curious if like early on doing those readings, do you think that informed the way you think about writing now? Cause when I read Livermush, it has an almost um, commitment to pleasuring the audience, almost like maybe a standup or like it is, it seems aware of where you might lose attention and it's always like bringing you back, which I would think would be a skill you would learn from being in a room with people and literally seeing their eyes wander off or not laugh, or you, you could feel yourself losing them the way you're not. If you're just publishing, do you think that like early on reading, did that kind of inform the way you think about writing even in, in a, a work that isn't necessarily going to be read out loud? Definitely. I think that I would like it to be entertaining, uh, whatever I'm writing, or I'd like it to be like engaging and have some kind of energy to it so that it could exist both as a thing that you're looking at and as a thing that you're hearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the liver mush is like that, but I don't know if everything is, is like that in it, but I think that, yeah, for the most part, that's what I would like to have that, that somebody could not get bored. I, I also like the idea. I think also it comes from the topic in general is that it's a thing that, uh, maybe people are would be bored by hearing the word liver mush over and over again uh-huh. or don't know what it is. So it doesn't really speak to them. So having to, to call back to the, the reader or the listener and say like, listen, this has a point that at some point it will make sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I had some questions. I, I do want to talk about the repetition of liver mush, the word liver mush specifically, but I am curious just like, so your early writing, um, when was the first time you got published? Where was it? Do you remember that that moment? What was that like? So I think uh, the publishing company that hosted or the publishing company that hosted those open mics that I started going to published this one uh, poem that I wrote about um, being at like a study abroad thing. I was in like a an anthropology study abroad mm-hmm. in uh, the West Indies and. Uh, the kitchen appliances in the place that we were staying at were all gas and you had to turn them on and then light a match and start it. Mm-hmm. And the poem was about like, uh, one of the people I was, I was living with turning on, like turning on the oven to make tater tots and putting them in the oven and then closing it and then checking it like maybe 10 minutes later and realizing it wasn't on. And so they were like, can you do it for me? And so I went and did it. And because all the gas had been like building up inside the oven, it just blew up (laughs) and um, blew the stove out of the wall and like threw me across the room. And um, literal explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it blew up. And like uh, people really liked that 
poem. Uh, <laughs> and I think it also worked because, uh, I don't know, because I was like, I was probably like 30 years younger than everybody in that room, you uh-huh. know, in those those spaces when they went to read and everything. But I think they liked me leaning into the idea of being like a dumb kid who, <laughs> who, would, who just did stupid shit and like hurt myself. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that, that was the first thing I got published. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is there a point in that time when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this for real or make some sort of commitment to writing or poetry or trying to, to publish? Like, was there, was there a commitment to this craft as something that would be part of your life as an ongoing? I think, yeah, I think around that time, I, I felt like I was happy. I was happy doing those, like going to those, those readings. Mm-hmm. And I was happy being in front of those people and challenge and like pushing myself to make right new stuff. And it didn't really matter if like it bombed or if it was not good or, or what it was like the process of putting it together. And right, yeah. after I graduated college, I tried to get like some jobs in the city where the college was in Raleigh, but I couldn't really find anything. And I emailed the president of that publishing company. What was that? What was it? Main Street Rag. It's a Charlotte publishing company, like pretty small. But mm-hmm. I emailed the guy and I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I just graduated. I've been going to these readings a lot and I, uh, I'm, I'm moving back home with my parents and it's near where you're, you know, you're located. Uh, I would love to do like an internship of some kind or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, yeah, he like responded back and was like, yeah, sure. Come work for me. Oh, nice. And I think it, like if that hadn't have happened, I maybe would have struggled more with where my life went, but that kind of worked out. It was nice. And like, I, I just, I, I didn't do anything too crazy with that job. Like I, I did a little bit of editing. Like he would write these, uh, these pieces that went out with the, the print journal that mm-hmm. came out every month or every quarter. And, um, and I would like edit his piece. Like I would read it, just be like, this is good. I think you could make this better. Okay, for the most wow. part, I just like printed the books. Like uh-huh. I, I ran a press, you know, like the, the, the glue and the thing. And I learned how to like cut the, oh, cut wow. the edges so they off had the books. An actual printing like operation going on. They didn't outsource it to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was all in that one space. Oh, that's um, cool. And I think from there, I don't know that at that time I started reading more, uh, internet stuff. Uh, okay, yeah. like I think Taolin and Sam Pink and stuff like that. And then that started to sound more like writing that I could, uh, could do myself. Yeah. It made sense. You know, it wasn't in college. I was reading a lot of, I think any kind of writing class in college is either like, it's like Pomo or, <laughs> right. or like early English stuff, you know, like yeah. you're, reading, you're reading Chaucer or you're reading, uh, pension or whatever <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> both people that are unreplicable in any way yeah yeah and that like i don't know you, i don't even neither feel real or like right current, yeah you know yeah. so it was cool finding stuff written by people who weren't too much older than me that sounded like my experience and i think that like those kind of combinations of things made me feel like i could write yeah doing this i remember some of that stuff too when i was first starting to get into writing it was like um html giant do you remember that website yeah 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 and like which i don't even know if it exists anymore which was that blake butler that did that and then like yeah i think so the moo moo house stuff um yeah yeah there was a real like i hadn't read anything like that before and there was and as a compliment i think to them and to your book there's something you're like this feels so close to the way 
my friends talk, the way I talk, that maybe I don't have to pretend to be something else to be a writer, which I think is too, even like Naked Lunch, when I think about that book, which is so weird and so specifically Burroughs, but there's definitely an element of that that's like, he's not trying to be anything else. <laughs> like, yeah. if nothing else, it's like a book of like permission. Like, you can be as weird as you fucking want on the page. If somebody is going to turn those pages, then it's working. That's all that it takes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think um, there are people who, who do the the Burroughs thing still. Like, I think there's a, a, a big group of writers who still like the kind of word fuck kind of thing yeah. that um, yeah. works for some people. I'm not, I'm not good at it or don't, I, I feel like it all sounds like the same. Yeah. It feels like I'm just rewriting Burroughs or whatever, but I, I do think that like, yeah, as weird as it is to say that I like that book a lot, it did really uh, matter. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think that like you know, reading these people and, and feeling like, yeah, they're not doing anything special or they're not, they're not like writing stories about anybody but themselves. Right. And yeah. They're not making characters up or whatever. Yeah. There's not like plot themselves. twists. There's not necessarily even like an escalation in action. Like there's not like these artificial things that I feel like I thought maybe you have to add in to get something publishable or readable. Like this mm. is the arc of a short story or the arc of a novel. And some of those guys, like I remember there's on YouTube, this reading of, from Tao Lin, and he was, uh, it was like a story about a whale that this family yeah. killed. Yeah. And then he yeah, just yeah. Keeps, repeats the line over and over the next night they ate whale and people start kind of freaking out because they're just so, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, um, this guy is, well, this is something we talked about on Twitter a little bit. And I think an email, like these books that seem to just do whatever they want, um, yeah. or these writers that seem to do that. And that kind of being an ethic that I've loved in a lot of books. I remember there was like a blurb on a, thomas bernard book that said this is like a book and a writer that retains the ability to say anything he wants at any moment and like i read that blurb and i was like that's what i want somebody to say about <laughs> something i do at some yeah. point so i'm yeah. curious if there are other like touchstone books like that for you that were that you remember thinking like oh this is a writer that's truly just doing whatever he wants specifically like recently for livermush uh, uh Oh uh, yeah, Richard Trout Brodigan. fishing in America. Yeah, yeah. So I I read that. I think that like that book itself was like it's very fun, and it also is is from this kind of time period where I'd been maybe burnt out with writers from that time period. But like he was doing his own thing. Yeah, and I feel like there's nothing. There's not. A, there's nothing really like that. And, Wasn't he? Uh, was he kind of in with those with the Beats and the Burroughs time period and the. Was that his? I can't remember where he slots in exactly. I think more like later sixties is okay. when he started, but and then like afterward. But like he would have like yeah crossed paths. I think when he was in like San Francisco area around the same times, a lot of the beats were were in that area too. Yeah, so they crossed paths. I'm sure, uh, and it seems to be like the hippie aesthetic. You know. Yeah. That it, you know that it that he talked about or, or, you know, in like watermelon sugar, it seems like a commune, but I read like, I read that book. And then I read like a bunch of his other poetry books. And I felt that like the, the way that the poems are so short and just specific mm -hmm. that I wanted to do a similar thing. Yeah. And I wanted to, to have like, you know, just, a simple image as straightforward as possible. I remember reading Braddock, Braddock and, and like 
sending and I was like, to, I, at the same time, uh, I was talking to parts of my family that I hadn't talked to in like 10 years. Hmm. Um, when my dad died when I was young and I hadn't really stayed in contact with his side of the family, but I think because of COVID, there was a lot of like, Hey, we don't see each other enough and everybody's scared about stuff. So let's start you know, yeah. reaching out to each other. Right. And through that, I was talking to like that side of the family more. And I was like reading these poems and thinking these are not like poems they're just like funny things yeah <laughs> and i remember sending them to like my aunt you know who's like 70 and my like uncle who's like 60 and being like this is cool right the brodigan <laughs> stuff or some of the stuff you were writing the brodigan <laughs> stuff okay um, yeah. and just being like i like just read this poem and maybe want to send it to you wow what did um, you say <laughs> and they just laughed <laughs> they're just putting up with me they're right. just like like we still want you to stay around. We don't want to judge you too hard yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just accept what he says and don't say anything about it. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, and then similar to, similar to uh, Richard Brodigan was uh, Jack Handy as reading his, like, like the guy the deep from thoughts. SNL. Yeah. Yeah. Deep thoughts. Yeah. He has like three, three, books that are just like collections of his like snl deep thoughts (laughs) those are really good they're like they are poetry like they're so funny i remember reading Um, those as a kid and some of them still stick with me um there's one where he said like he wants to um go to like an all-you-can-eat buffet and get a big piece of meat and cover it with mashed potatoes and then when somebody says what no meat he's gonna pull it out and be like oh you mean this like (laughs) Why is that funny? But me, every me and my buddies would go to like uh, an all you eat can eat buffet, and I'm talking we were like eight, nine, yeah. and we would do that every time. We'd get a piece of meat and cover it in mashed potatoes and do the oh, you mean this? <laughs> 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 yeah, he he is. I don't know. He's a genius. Um, yeah, there's. Yeah, can you think is, of any of the ones that have I'm stuck not, with yeah, you? Yeah, I'm looking through like the save stuff that I have to, to try. That's to, really important, I think, to this interview. I think it is very important because these are they're funny and they're also things that I like, uh, just like send to my friends <laughs> whenever I like. They like always hit really well. Um, okay, this is this is a, a solid one. One thing kids like is to be tricked. For instance, I was going to take my little nephew to Disneyland. But instead, I drove him to an old burned-out warehouse. Oh, no, I said. Disneyland burned down. He cried and cried. But I think deep down, he thought it was a pretty good joke. I started to drive over to the real Disneyland, but it was getting pretty late. Dude, I remember that one exactly. I was actually going to say there's one about Disneyland, right? Because I used to live right near Disneyland in Long Beach. Um, Okay. So that one, I think, I think (laughs) hit home more than (laughs) it's getting pretty late. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just not not going. Yeah. Uh, This is good. Maybe this is like this is a solid poem. I think that the thing is about these is that some of them are like jokes and then some of them are just like really good poems uh-huh. <laughs> maybe in order to understand mankind we have to look at the word itself mankind basically it's made up of two separate words mank and i <laughs> what do these words mean it's a mystery and that's why so is mankind <laughs> there is some of the cadence and the comedy in it that actually I've, I've i got out of your book for some reason one of the i actually marked a bunch of spots that i think are really funny 
But then the one that immediately comes to mind for no reason is you're talking to somebody in the warehouse and they I think they say they don't like liver motion. You're just like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> like, yeah. Just the, the definitive indignant tone of that the narrator <laughs> saying that because somebody doesn't like liver mush or they don't know anything yeah the, <laughs> i think that's like one last thing with uh the, the character ben yeah like, yeah that's it right before you apologize yeah. to him yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like after like the entire poem up to that point is me just like being a shit show and like fucking things <laughs> up yeah, like yeah. cooking things wrong and just being like no i'm working on it i'm trying to figure things out i'm like <laughs> allowing myself to fail and, and and learn from my failure and then the first thing that he says is, <laughs> you can't I even like do it. it you just immediately yeah. revert to the most childish response you can because he yeah. doesn't like the thing that you think he should like <laughs> yeah because i like i did so much for you <laughs> Yeah. This is about connection for Dude, me. It's you so just funny. Say, I don't like it. It's yeah. funny, man. So my experience of this book, to get into the book, I I mean, it's pretty new. What did it come out? January or so? It came out this year sometime, right? Yeah, February 25th. Oh, flip. Okay, yeah. Um, so real new. I, I guess it was just floating around. I'd seen pictures of it, and I was in this feeling a little bit guilty about people buying my book. And so I was just like, if I see a book I'm interested in, I'm going to buy that book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I remember I got it in the mail and I was like, I opened it up and I was like, oh yeah, this liver book. And I like read the first bit and I was like, what the fuck did I just buy? And I set it aside for a couple, like <laughs> a day maybe. And then I like, it went outside, like back on a Friday after work and started reading it and just didn't put it down. Like the immediacy that it was aware of its own ridiculousness. It was rewarding me almost on a like sentence by sentence if not piece by piece level um i just hadn't read anything that that brought me as much immediate joy as this in a long time which is why i was so stoked to even just like reach out to you about it or or um yeah hear from you about it or even just let you know that that it meant a lot to me um but I thank you thank you so much (laughs) yeah man Uh, it it really that, that rules yeah it's so fun like i keep i like i was gonna say so before this i like the other night I was like, I need to just refresh and make some notes. Cause I'm not a real like detailed reader and I hate writing in books. That's why I like did uh stickies all over it. But again, I just read the whole thing accidentally. Like it just was so immediately funny. And even the joke, I think what makes these good jokes and the same with those deep thoughts is that like, you can hear them again and they're still funny. So like yeah. liver mush holds up to a second read. <laughs> yeah. But my question yeah. was originally like, I have a lot of questions about it. I guess my first one, just broad strokes. How did this book come together? Did you mean to write a book about this obscure meat-based product that most people haven't heard of? How intentional was it? At what point did you realize you were writing a book about liver mush? Um, So I think I was tweeting about it a lot because I didn't have a job and I was just hanging out in my apartment it was during like the, the beginning of, of the pandemic. I think it's very similar maybe to your book. I, I don't know if that's an insult. I feel like <laughs> I don't know if, if people like that. I say that to people where I'm like, it's the same book, but I'm talking about my, like comparing my book to other people. Oh, dude, I'd I be know. honored to com- if you compared my book to your book in any way. <laughs> I think they're the same book. I think they're very similar. <laughs> um uh, but uh, I was I was like tweeting about it a lot, and and I think that because I didn't have a job, but I was like sustaining on uh, g- government money that was coming in. Um, 
like the stimulus stuff or the yeah 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 Yeah, stimulus stuff was coming in and uh my girlfriend caitlin was working so i was like making all the meals Uh and uh you know felt like we were trapped inside and there wasn't really anything to do and and so i started to get really obsessed with the idea uh, of that because it was just something i couldn't have up here i couldn't have with much up here but scrapple is up here and uh i'd had it before and so i was like just buying it and, and, and making it. And I, I think both in tweeting about it and then making it, making Caitlin somehow part of my like insane, um, like spiral, uh, made me tweet about it more and made me like, made it become the bigger thing. And then, uh, at some point, uh, Zach Smith like reached out to me or we'd been talking, but he was like, you should write more of these. You should write literally much poems. Mm. Based and on I the tweets. Based on the tweets. Yeah. I think that I tweeted this one thing that was like, um, I don't remember the original poem. Uh, there's a, a poem that's like, I want, uh, I think it's like, I want a lesbian for president or something like that. Or it might be more <laughs> offensive terms than that. Um, <laughs> But the person who said it is is allowed to say those terms, uh, huh. <laughs> and so I tweeted something like "I want Livermore for president" or something like that. And it was you know, ripping on that idea. Yeah, and uh, Zach like messaged me and was like, "You should write more of these." Did you know him? Do you just know him through Twitter? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, I think like we had yeah interacted through, you know, like replying to tweets or liking tweets or whatever. Yeah, and then yeah. maybe recently like maybe right before that we had been like messaging back and forth and i liked i like talking to him because i i think that he i think there was like at that time in my life i was very uh anxious about reaching out to writers that i respected because um a lot of times they're maybe not willing to be um i don't know i feel like i've reached out to certain writers and then they've talked in like riddles to me and or i know what you mean or they or they've they've seen the dms as an extension of their like writing presence and so yeah they're felt not like real be on i hear you, you know, yeah you gotta to be them. smart so, and yeah yeah and so like i didn't want to like i didn't like doing that but then like talking to zach i think we just talked about being like being depressed and like things that we did throughout our day yeah i really enjoyed that um that feeling of just being like you know i'm i'm bored and sad and he's like i'm bored and sad too this is specifically (laughs) what i'm doing when i'm bored and sad and i'm like this is what i'm doing when i'm bored yeah yeah and i think that that specifically made me really like hunker down and like start putting it together and then uh reading things that maybe inspired it like like the Richard Bradigan came while I was writing it. Okay. You know, yeah. my neighbor gave me a copy of the Richard Bradigan book and I was like, Oh shit, this is cool. So was it trout fishing it in America? Book. It was <laughs> trout fishing in America in, in watermelon sugar and the pill versus the mine okay. disaster. I've only read it was the, like a, the trout one, but I can see now that you say that even just the rhythm of it has a trout fishing in America rhythm. Like, a simultaneous accumulation and a constant changing of the subject without really changing the main subject, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think, uh, I haven't read brought, yeah, I haven't read it in a long time, but I could see that being a pretty cool influence on the book for sure. Did you have 
a specific vision of the book in mind when you started writing? Or did you just think, let me write more of these poems and maybe publish them individually? Because I know some of these pieces appeared separately from the book. Like the essay is in X-ray and a few of them are around. But did you have a somewhat idea that this could be a cohesive thing from the beginning? I think that uh, what I first thought were they would be just like disparate parts all kind of containing the same thing the same subject or the, about, about the same thing. But I think um, as it went on, uh, like a, a theme kind of fit together. And, and, and then through that, I liked the idea of, of creating like an arc in this, in the book yeah. that, that made it a little bit more satisfying. Um, I think that like when I first started writing it, I liked the idea of a collection being tied together by a theme Mm-hmm. Um, so that it wasn't just a collection of poetry, like, um, not to bring up Zach again, but 50 barn poems. It's like, there's not really an arc in that book, but it's all tied together because they're all barn poems. Yeah. And I like that idea. And I, I didn't, I don't, I like poetry, but I don't particularly like collections of poetry. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think that there's this feeling I get, of each poem kind of like tires me out. Right. And, and then I, I don't have like a reason to go forward. I think that means I'm a bad poetry reader, <laughs> but I do uh, like poetry books that are either a book long poem or uh, about one thing or, yeah. or whatever. I, I, I like poetry like that. So I wanted to do, I think, so I think as I started, I was like, it's all tied together. So that's interesting in itself. You know, yeah. the drunk sonnets by uh, uh, Daniel Bailey you know, is like that. They're all, you know, they're all tied together. They're all yeah. the same form. They're all like when he's drunk. Um, uh, I wanted to do that. And then as I started writing it, I like kind of like found uh, the themes of like home and place totally. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a very deep insight to say this is a book about home and what home yeah. means. And I mean, on my part, I'm not like a super smart critic to to pull that out, which is something yeah. I like about the book and kind of wanted to ask you about your feeling on it, because clearly Livermush functions as kind of a metaphor in the book and not a subtle one, which I like. Like uh, it is on the one hand, super literal, like you really get into the details about this meat product. <laughs> and on mm-hmm. the other hand, it is a metaphor that you you don't even try to be coy about or like literary about or like secret meaning. There's a part where you just say Livermush is a metaphor. Like I can't remember what you say exactly. Livermush is a symbol, literally like in quotes. You're not hiding <laughs> yeah. the fact that you're playing around with metaphors here. So I'm curious. Well, actually, I took this note you say on like page 24 where I felt like this is the book becomes aware of Livermush as a metaphor, but you say like, how about from now on everything with meat and grain is liver mush? Yeah, I like that. I have that power, which I was like, <laughs> yeah. this is a writer who's like realizing like the power of writing is that I am the boss right now. And like I can make yeah. anything, anything else. And it's almost fun to see a writer aware and becoming almost like in a superhero movie where they first like where, you know, Spider-Man first gets his spidey senses. There's yeah. a, there's actually a section in this book. I think it's like. Well, two, I don't know, a fourth of the way through where it's clear that you like the you start having fun with the idea itself. And I think I don't know. I, there's like this screenwriting thing where there's a 
time in the movie for fun and games, which happens mm. to come. Ex- I don't know if this is intuitive or you just know how to structure things really well, but you're like where you start talking about liver mush is this liver mush is that liver mush can do anything. I want to say it can do. It comes like just at a movie where the fun and games would be happening, where the superhero would be playing around with their new powers. So I think the book, like somebody could maybe see it as just mush, but it's very meticulously structured in the way it brings you through a small arc, the way it plays with this idea in these very intentional and not repetitive ways. There are, there are ways that escalate the idea and they're always pushing it forward, which I think is why you can read 120 pages about liver mush and still want more about it. Um, so I guess if I were to turn that into a question, it would be, uh, how intentionally did you structure the book? Like, Part of me when I read this was like, does he does he know what he's doing? Um, how how is he doing this so well? Is this on purpose or are you playing it by ear? I think I think uh, a lot of it was uh, like just writing through uh, the ideas and, and like just writing everything that reminded me of Liver Mush, and then every like immediately, and then as it you know going forward like childhood memories stuff like that. And then just continuing that for a couple of months mm-hmm. while also my life was changing. And I, I guess the the structure that a lot of the structure I think comes from like my life changing. Interesting. You as know, you were writing like, it. As I was writing it. So like not having a job, getting a job. Yeah. Um, it being this obsession that I was in the midst of meeting my neighbors. Right. And, yeah. and, um, it being this thing that I was in the midst of obsessing over and then how I brought other people into it in a way of trying to be as sincere as possible or, or like make other people, uh, I, I don't know, like if, if that's who I was at that moment, then tell other people about it or talk to other people about it. Cause that's what I was interested in at the time. Yeah. Um, and so that I think, helped a lot of it um and i think that um through talking to to other people who about it and like figuring out like you know that more people felt you know alienated by it that would then help me with making the front matter of the book a little bit more interesting interesting yeah or like how did i then introduced that to people you know yeah i have to tell you do you know what this is well let me tell you what this is yeah um so that like helped but i think maybe from like the first section of the book i think i wrote last the um the intro parts were were more later written the basics because i wanted the basics yeah i wanted that so that like anybody coming in could maybe have an idea and then like that you know was like a riff built off of that first poems structure and then there's maybe a couple poems in there. I think the Rothko poem came pretty late in it. Uh, <laughs> that was another one I have that, a sticky note on where you in the essay or in the poem get a fact wrong and then correct it <laughs> in the same poem, which I love. Yeah. Is again that permission to like you think books have to be accurate and writers have to do some sort of research beforehand and they have to know. But if you can do it in an interesting way, you can be wrong and then call out your own wrongness two paragraphs yeah. later and not bother fixing it because that's yeah. part of the energy of the poem. Yeah. 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 I, I think that 
that like verbatim was a message that I sent to Mike Andrelsic. Uh, he wrote a, a he wrote a lot of poem, uh, books. Uh, Gateway Five Thousand, I believe, is the book okay. that he wrote. It's, uh, it's poetry, it's really good. We were talking for a bit, and I was like talking about Liver Mushroom and how I liked that one Rothko painting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I said that to him, and then he was from Texas like, or something. Yeah, because of the chapel, there's like the Rothko Chapel in Texas. Yeah, which, but I, I, I just assumed that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, you must be. Got to be there. from Houston, yeah. Yeah, why else would it be in Texas? Yeah, um, and then I don't know. There's maybe a couple of pieces that like were added. You know, like I think in the liver moment, the call back to the scorpion. Yeah, that was like Zach's idea. In, in like stuff like I that. was going to ask but, you about the the scorpion. I don't I don't want to get too into the. I know that some stuff maybe isn't talk aboutable, but like, what's with the fucking scorpion? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know, man. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> it's funny. That's what I thought, and that's what I hope, and like like that's what I liked about it is it was like this is the magical realism of this. This is this is the power of Livermush that it can. T- have a live scorpion inside of it that Graham puts there and still continue to, to feel like an honest <laughs> assessment of this real product. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant move and so subtle too. in the callback. Like you, it said very quickly and called back very quickly, but helps give the whole book this real, like uh resolution feeling like you almost like it doesn't take much, you know, to, to, to create kind of a setup and a payoff that makes the reader feel like they've had a complete experience. Like, like the scorpion offers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy that. Cause I think that like maybe from, from doing like readings and stuff, uh, that's maybe uh, a thing that I lear- learned from that is that just, if you talk about something at the beginning, you can talk about it later and people feel more endeared to it because they are in on the, that yeah, secret yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's fun to do that. Uh, and I'm always it makes amazed people feel special. How much space you can put between it? Like, there's probably like 50 pages or 40 or something between the first mention and the second mention, and you'd think people would forget. But it's such a striking image. They they you could mention it on the last page. You could mention it in the acknowledgments, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, the scorpion." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially like this is me analyzing it myself, but like in terms of like talking about liver mush as a metaphor, meaning that there is something contained inside of it. Yeah. Right. It could contain anything. Totally. And then just being like, what physically is in there? Yeah. Is <laughs> it's a metaphor that starts talking about the power of a metaphor. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting too far into it. I love, I love the scorpion. I just wondered if there was anything to even say about it. And there doesn't have to be. Um, you mentioned, and I think this is interesting, that the book kind of followed an arc that your life was taking while you wrote it. And I function similarly. Like, sometimes I'll write about stuff that happened the day before. Like, I just probably because I don't have a great emotional memory and I'm lazy, I'm usually writing about almost live in my life. It, I'm curious. If, and the, the book has that feeling and I'm drawn to work like that. Like, Maggie Nelson feels like that a lot. Uh, like, Sarah Manguso feels like that. This felt like that to me, but how much of that is the case? Like, do you usually write pretty close to live or do you have a space between what you're writing about and when it happened? Um, I find it that it's easier 
for me to write like closer to what has recently happened. If something is happening currently, I can like put it all down and I don't have to do it. It doesn't feel as like much work. I'm like maybe more like currently processing it in the writing. Right. Yeah. Maybe I haven't been, you know, discussing it with whoever is involved in my life at the time or talking about it. It's not like these are maybe I think the way I go about my life is I'm not necessarily discussing my emotions. Yeah. As soon as they happen, I'm maybe more storing them away and then writing about them. And, um, so as I'm writing about them, it's a, it feels yeah like as I'm writing about something that recently happened, maybe to get my emotions out more cleanly. Yeah. But I think like through that, that process, I sometimes I'm able to like remember, uh, uh, stories from the past or something like that. Right. And, and then like bring that in through um, like how it relates to what's happening. Yeah. It, and maybe there can uh, be a live element too, to that. Like sometimes maybe it does. The immediacy doesn't have to be that this event is taking place, but just that this is literally what's on your mind at the time that you're writing mm-hmm. it. Even if what's on your mind maybe happened 10 years ago, there's still like a live, like this is a kind of a fresh memory. Um, because I, I mean, yeah. one of my favorite parts of the book, and one of the most like insight, I thought like brilliantly self analytical, is a callback to when you used to have people over to your house and you would ask them if they wanted liver mush, and then you'd mm-hmm. kind of give them a hard time for not wanting it, but then also be like, I'd understand, I wouldn't want it either. And it's this part where I think, I mean, it, I think this is where I'm like, is liver mush a metaphor? Because it also just is a way into a certain regionalism or like wanting to have a specific experience as a person that you call out of yourself as a kid like you didn't want people to know what it was like to love liver mush from the time they were you know a kid until now like there's a part of you that wants and even the thing you're wrestling with so like i want everyone to love liver mush but i also want to keep this for myself which is like why i think you use the thing metaphorically and hilarious in deep ways but also it is like it is just a way into i think everyone has that like in texas maybe it's like whataburger or there's things that for some reason we pretend or we need to think that we're having a special experience um yeah i don't know how much of that was invented or how much of that work was to get back into that mindset but you took a a slice of your childhood and i thought analyzed it with yourself now in a pretty brilliant way um that kind of i thought unlocked a lot of the book for me it was like i totally know what he means i don't know what liver mush is i've never heard of scrapple um, but I know what he's talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that there, like a lot of the the a lot of the poems are in the book, are or a lot of the pieces in the book are written kind of like as they are happening to me, you know, about talking to people about it or yeah, or explaining what it is. But then through the repetition of writing it and like um, trying to figure out, you know, like how far I can take it, what right, directions yeah. that it, it exists for, what avenues I can go down. Uh, then it like goes to those memories or whatever. And so it's like, it feels like a, a way of, of being conversational. Like if, if, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody and it is going well enough and you're talking about what's happening today, mm-hmm. then they bring up something and then you bring up something. Maybe you don't have, uh, you know, maybe today you didn't have an experience the same that I had, but to keep the conversation going, to keep the energy going, you bring up something that happened five years ago right. or, yeah. you know, whatever it's, it's so it kind of like, it's like pulling from 
what what can be said about the topic at hand yeah uh to keep it going um all right last question man what do you work are you working on anything now what's um where are you at these days yeah i've been working on uh i don't know what to call it uh i think it is a novel nice i don't know if that's a, a an appropriate word for it but uh it's called tentatively some things i ate it's also about food <laughs> great yeah and uh what i did was like uh for the month of january i wrote down everything that i ate like every single food item that i ate and uh and then in between that wrote like memories or uh things that were happening in my life mm-hmm. for what I was like watching on TV or movies I was watching and how those things tied back to what I was eating at the time I was doing it. Yeah. So it's like a, a word document that's like that. And, um, I've been working on it for a bit. I think that the main thing, I I don't think it really has too much of like a narrative arc. I think it just is like a period of time yeah. and then it kind of ends. I like that. Though. But, um, but yeah, that's what I've been working on. That was guest host Mike Nagel in conversation with Graham Irvin. Right now, if you go to autofocuslit.com slash books, we're running a special collaboration with Back Patio Press in which you can buy both Mike Nagel's duplex and Graham Irvin's liver mush for $20, which saves you like 10 bucks or something. We're calling it the Meat Lovers Special. Go check it out. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Mm-hmm.